Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hey. Hi, guys. We are hey, at Andrew. TCO Performance Center in Egan, where the Vikings are preparing for the Lions on Christmas Eve. The first Lions. Of, first of three. First of three, right? If the Vikings. The Lions can trilogy. Set up a playoff matchup. Um, yeah, the Lions can win their first division crown in 30 years on the Vikings' home field. That's where reality is. That's where this timeline is for the NFL in terms of somehow Detroit not only getting back to relevance but being in a driver's seat and the Vikings trying to play spoiler while they're also fighting for their own wild card spot. So we'll talk about all that. We'll talk about the game coming up on Sunday and we should get to I suppose the leadoff that the Vikings are sticking with Nick Mullins despite two turnovers. They're not going to make another quarterback change. Um, and Mike, perhaps one way to get into this, we were talking before um, the podcast about how this just we might be done with the quarterback changes, right? Ben, like, would you imagine that that the Vikings are are ever going to get in a spot where they're going to move off of Nick Mullins, considering that it was a three hundred yard game, two picks, yeah, but he gave a, a stability to this offense at least a little bit. Yeah, he did. I mean, I no, I don't think they'll move off of him barring some major sequence of events that looks like he just can't play the position. Or injury, I mean, obvious. Yeah, that yeah. is the obvious one. But what else are you going to do? I mean, are you going to go back to Josh Dobbs? Are you going to go with the rookie that you have been sort of saying we want to just let him marinate the whole time? I mean, that seems to be how they're approaching that. I I can't imagine that they are going to move off of Mullins unless they are forced to do so by some sequence of events, either injury or just gross ineffectiveness. So, yeah, I, I think it's probably him the rest of the way, and then you know, how far that is, we'll see. Yeah, what did you think of what he had to say about – what little he had to say about the turnovers but also the uh, the pushing of this tush? Well, the interesting thing he said about the tush push is that he used – the same cadence and he does have the full freedom to change that between plays you know I think they have like six different cadences to snap the ball and we've learned a lot about quarterback cadence in the last few weeks because of the Josh Dobbs experiment in Atlanta but it sounded like he used the same one on the third and the fourth down which in addition to um, you know I mean, just about everything about that play was a carbon copy of what they did on third down. And the whole thing, I mean, the the old quote about the definition of insanity certainly seemed like that applied there a little bit where it's, let's, okay, this didn't work the first time. Let's go back to the same thing and see if it works the second time. But um, yeah, that was kind of the, the big takeaway. That was the new piece of information we hadn't heard yet. So I thought that was interesting, but you know, in in the end it's, um, they turned the ball over twice inside the Lions' 25-yard – or inside the Bengals' 25-yard line. Different cat, uh, different week. Um, in a game, they lost by three. So that has a big say in the final outcome as well. And if you're going to play close games every week, which they are, um, you can't – You do have to wonder, you know, the cadence the cadence stuff. If, if it was the same cadence on fourth down – how much of a factor is that in Bradbury getting knocked back? Essentially, like, is did they yeah. t- did they time it up so that they were like, okay, this looks this looks like the same play. If it's the exact same play, not that they're like flat out guessing, but the Vikings only needed like five inches on that play. Like, you've you, you got a that's pretty 
safe-ish, usually on a QB sneak, not always, but like tush push or not, that's like an 80 or 90% conversion rate usually on on that little to gain. You wonder if you know them be, being able to get off the ball in that case, getting Bradbury knocked back, kind of how much that influences the play and how much that has to do with maybe not changing the cadence if that was the case. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Yeah, and, and Nick Mullins did say um, he meant, he brought up the cadence, and he said, "I guess I just gotta you know push a little more <laughs> or something like that, yeah. or shove, yeah, give more of a shove or something like that." Um, he's not Jalen Hurts. I think we've kind of learned no. that that no. play works because of Jalen Hurts, right? Nor is, nor and, is Brandon Powell Kelsey. Line, and yeah, nor is Kelsey, Brandon yeah. Powell a line. No, and nor is Brandon Powell um, a lineman. I, I just think this whole thing is overthinking with everybody in the league copying this play. Um, because QB sneaks have been a statistically great play well before this. Yeah, uh, it's, it, was ever it's brought up. not like we needed to reform the play for yeah. the sake of it doesn't work and this adjustment will make it work universally. The Eagles reformed the play because they have a unique set of pieces to take advantage of it, whether it's Jason Kelsey, Jalen Hurts, um, maybe some of the people pushing. I think Dallas Goddard is back there quite a bit, but – Kelsey and Hertz are the the primary reasons where you, you start from a pretty good foundation there. Um, it works independent of that, too. I mean, just having a quarterback that can reach over the line has typically worked pretty well as well. So it has gotten a little silly. I mean, it's, you know, the league copies. I mean, everybody in the league copies everybody, and it becomes the thing until somebody figures out how to stop it. And, and maybe the the way that it gets stopped is people say, well, if we don't have these pieces in the foundation of it, it's not going to work quite as effectively as it does for Philadelphia. All right, the tush push is old news right now. We're going to get to the new news. The it's an old tush. The Detroit Lions. I wish are, we had a Vikings name for it. Like, you know, Philadelphia has the brotherly shove. What would we call you know, if the Vikings ever got good at it? I, I, I've been thinking about it. Trust me, I don't I don't have anything. But if what would a Vikings version of this be called? Be, it's got to be like kind of... It's got to. It's got to be cute, like the brotherly shove. Cute. The tush push is not like cute. The Packers. They go with a love shove. Is that what? It, oh, the love shove. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, if you got one, send we it. probably should move on. Send it should, to us. It is old news. The they, new, probably, they probably won't do it this week. The new news is that the Detroit Lions are ten and four. I mean, the top. last fourth down play they had that cost them a big game in a season. The start should be learned before this year is no longer in the playbook. The fourth yes. and eight, yes. Kirk Cousins to T.J. Hawkinson is not in the playbook anymore. So perhaps the tush push gets the same treatment or whatever we want to call it. Yes. Never understood why the tush push was ever in the Vikings playbook to begin with, with Kirk or Nick or or their, their, their offensive line, their quarterbacks, an undersized receiver pushing an immobile quarterback into an undersized center. Josh Dobbs would seem like a better. Yes. Tush to push. Yeah. But he was inactive unless it would have to be a emergency. It would have had to be an emergency, an emergency tush, tush push. It was an emergency yeah. or tush push. Josh Oliver? I don't know. He's tall and big. Um all right. Anyway. Detroit's good. <clears throat> they can yeah. win the division. Um yeah. do you guys think they're set up for success longer term than the Vikings? 
Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on quarterback. Everything depends on quarterback in this league because we kind of looked a little bit before we started recording. Goff is under contract still, like technically next year, although I think they can kind of get out of that at some point. They've got a long-term decision to make about quarterback. He's been good. I think like, you know, when they made the trade with the Rams, traded Stafford there, brought Goff back, you're like, oh man, they got, you know, they got the far lesser of the quarterback, but Goff has been pretty good there like he was was he a pro bowler last year like he's he's been pretty good he's thrown for a bunch of yards he was part of the reason they were good last year he's definitely part of the reason they're good this year so if they decide that he is their guy in kind of the medium term I think they're set up to win you know nine to twelve games for the next you know three to four years don't you like they're pretty good I do because they've drafted well too on top of that now when you look at their recent draft whether it's Brian Branch Jameer Gibbs um, Jack Campbell Sam Laporta like they've hit on a lot of guys at a lot of key positions that Amon Ross St. Brown a couple years ago um, that have just been revelations for them and I think defensively it's big question marks because they've been inconsistent on that side of the ball Um, but when you continue to add pieces the way that they have, and I think Brad Holmes, the GM there who comes from the Rams has done a good job of just stockpiling their draft capital and giving them a sustainable model that wasn't like the Rams where they just traded everything to get pieces and be really top heavy. And I think that the big question is going to be their quarterback transition whenever they move on from Goff. but we've seen Goff can be a Super Bowl caliber quarterback, um, yeah, with the right pieces around him. And And he's not old, right? He's no. So I think I think Detroit could absolutely do it if they can find a way to keep him clean. Well, I didn't. I was surprised to see this. I knew Goff always had, and we will talk about his history with Flores. Has always had a history of playing poorly under pressure, but only Tua I think has a higher drop off from his quarterback rating when clean to when pressured than Goff does. Um, when they've lost to Green Bay to Chicago recently, it's been because they've pressured Goff. Goff had three turnovers, three fumbles in that Thanksgiving loss to Green Bay. He had a fumble and a turnover and a, a interception in that loss to Chicago when they blitzed him and pressured him quite a bit. This is a guy you can rattle. And um, Ben, as you've talked about before, uh, well, first of all, answer the question. Like, is Detroit set up, um, you think, long-term? Answer the question! I want to get your thoughts on it. (laughs) Name your sources. Do you think they're set up better long-term? I do. I mean, yeah, I I think they have a lot of pieces that they can build around. Pieces are in place. Pieces are in place. Speaking of uh, gunslingers, that there was some, I thought I had some connection to him. Oh, the last time the Lions won the division, 1993, which was the year that they came back from 14 points down in the fourth quarter against the Vikings at the Metrodome to beat them. That, oh, wow. the, this was the last time the Vikings before last week had blown a lead of 14 points or more in wow. the fourth quarter. It was Halloween 1993 at the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome against Wayne Fonts Detroit Lions. And, you can't kill Rasputin. And, and Shout out was NFL a, prime Brett time. Favre was a young quarterback in Green Bay. Brett Favre then. was a young quarterback. They, I believe, beat the Packers in a Week 17 game at the Pontiac Silverdome to secure a rematch the next week, which Favre won with the famous roll to my left. See that Sterling Sharp's wide open and fling some just ridiculous yeah. back corner of the end zone off the back foot. You know, one of those... Brett Favre throws that no one has no one should made and no one Brett should Favre. try except Brett Favre. I don't just might apply. Just might. Do I, so can I do it? Maybe. I know I can make the play. Decided to make a play. Anyway, I I got you down. It was it was a rel- semi relevant path. Yeah, I mean, you were saying. Yeah. you were saying. I 
I think they are set up to be good for a while. I mean, I, I like a lot of the pieces they have in the on both fronts, really, between some of the pass rushers with Aiden Hutchinson and and whether it's Decker or Ragnow. I mean, they've got good uh, Panay Sewell too. I mean, they've invested in that group up front, and it has worked. I it's part of the reason that Goff I think has been able to be successful is you have a good front protecting him, and they've got good skill position players too. So, and they they play well for Dan Campbell. The golf question is the big one. He is, like I said, he'll be 30 next October. They have him signed through 2024. Yeah, just next year. So they, in other words, have to make a decision on him this offseason. Um, I would think that you would sign him. Um, how do they feel about him into his 30s I I think is a I mean 30 is not old for a quarterback no. but and what's his ceiling like is him? probably a yeah. better question yeah I mean because they're going to have a window here if you think I mean, you have a Super Bowl caliber roster is Jared Goff your quarterback yeah, but it, if you get rid of Goff do you have a playoff probably not well yeah I mean it would depend on who you replace him with I suppose but I'm trying to remember do they still have any more picks coming from from the, Rams? from the Stafford trade, that's mm. probably done now, right? They're I don't not, believe they their do. Bounty of we could uh, tap dance and quickly look. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure about that, but I do know that they've used a lot of those picks um, that have uh, come to fruition for them already. Um, do, none still, other, do they still have a pick from the Hawkinson trade, or is that been all square now? Um, they used it in this last draft in the second round. It wasn't Laporta. It was what did they do with it? I think they traded back with it and then ended up using a pick in the third round. The Stafford trade is, in fact, done. Yeah. So that the last one of those was uh, the 2023 first-round pick, which is the sixth overall that they, I think, traded back from that, too. So An interesting guy's perspective in all this is TJ Hawkinson, who never saw any of the winning and only saw all of the losing in Detroit. He got shipped out right before they went on their winning streak at the end of last year that um, – predated all of the hype going into this year that they've kind of lived up to. And I found it funny that we just asked him about Laporta, you know, who's been playing really well. I think he broke Mike Dicka's tight end rookie record for most yards in a Ditka. single season as a rookie. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Dicka still held that. Ditka. Still held that. That's great. Uh, Laporta broke it. Um, and uh, I just ask as a fellow Iowa guy, you know, what have, what's it been like to see Laporta and Hawkinson made mention like, well, yeah, I taught him some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went to the film yeah. room with him when he was at Iowa. When I went back to tight end university and, yep. and taught yeah. him how to catch check down so we can win nine to seven. <laughs> yeah. He didn't say that. No, no, he didn't. no. He didn't, I just, it. it was funny that he had to make mention. Probably have like, some Iowa listeners. Kid's done good, but you know, I taught him, taught him everything he knows. Teach him how to <laughs> single for a fair catch. Um, but yeah, the, I think this matchup is going to be interesting and long, the long-term discussion is interesting in and of itself because of where these franchises are. The Detroit's in year three of the rebuild. Vikings are in year two of their competitive rebuild. Um, the whole division is interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yep. Because really you can like, expand what, you what you're saying there. I yeah. Mean, the Bears have probably the number one pick, thanks to the Panthers. They'll have another top 10 pick of their own. Yeah. They have tons of money to spend. They have a quarterback decision to make. Um, the Vikings have a quarterback decision to make on either a rookie or free agent to be Kirk Cousins, who, uh, before he grew up in Western Michigan, uh, was a child growing up in Checks Notes, the Chicago area. Uh, where former Vikings quarterbacks coach Andrew Janoco is currently working. 
in an offense that's very similar to what the Vikings does. I, we were just talking before about possible non-Vikings destinations for Kirk, and it was like, oh, would this be one? Chicago. If in fact, I thought it was Atlanta. Justin Fields, well, I, I think both of these okay. came up. Atlanta, right. yes, because that also fits schematically, and his wife is from there, and that would seem like a good fit. But if the Bears moved on from Fields, this would take a bank shot. But the <laughs> Cousins-Fields sort of thing could I don't think that'll happen but the regardless of what happens there the Bears have an interesting decision to make the Packers have to figure out is Jordan Love worth a long-term extension right because he's he's signed for next year right they had to do that they didn't give him the fifth year option but they gave him guaranteed money next year like 20 yeah I mean his fifth year option would have been next year anyway 15 to 20 million something like that so it's he's going to be their guy next year he is but then you have to figure out probably what are you going to do with him long term he is correct only signed for next year uh not into 2025 so they have to make that decision they also have to figure out who their defensive coordinator is and Joe Barry enabler Matt LaFleur at what point does that become something that affects his job status? Yeah, Devondre Campbell's literally tweeting out, I'm not playing anymore. Like, yeah. While injured, I'm done. Is Jair Alexander doing the same thing? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. all of this stuff is I – mean, and the Vikings have a huge list of decisions to make this offseason. So the NFC North is a lot more interesting when it's not just, well, the Packers have a Hall of Famer and everybody's playing for second. Yeah. There's a lot to figure out with all of these teams. That reminds me of the Onion had a great headline this week that says, James Webb Telescope finds evidence of package secondary lined up 20 million light years off of receivers. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a picture of a Packers and like a Packer floating in the galaxy. In like a in the third and three. I'm like, yeah, sure, we'll take this easy conversion. I mean, he's, Baker he's, Mayfield, getting, he's getting the Ed Donatel treatment this year. Well, I just, I wonder if that scheme is just done, yeah, figured out. It might I be. Mean, the Vikings went away from it. Brandon Staley lost his job. Uh, the Eagles, I mean, Sean Desai is from that world. He just got quiet, very quietly play calling taken out from yeah. under him. Um, the Dolphins have had some success this year, but they've also have a lot of stars yep. on defense. And that tends to be where it works. I mean, it worked yeah. for the Rams when it's Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Yep. Fangio is, of course, in Miami. As is Ramsey. This year. Yeah, so it's... It can work, I think, in the right setting, but a lot of these things work better when you have Hall of Fame, not Hall of Fame, but Pro Bowl caliber players in those spots. I think you're right about the Packers. I think the whole division is true. I think you're right about the Packers. The Jordan Love question is fascinating to me. I mean, probably was something better to talk about next week when they actually play them, but like, I, I'm trying to figure out if he's, you know, they've invested three years, now four into him. Is he their long term answer? I mean, all, all four of these teams have quarterback questions. And it's a great quarterback draft, or at least. Yeah, it's supposed to be a great quarterback draft. It's supposed to be a deep quarterback draft. Yes, so, quarterback. A lot of decisions to make at that position. What matters? What matters for this Sunday is the matchup with the Lions and how the, these Vikings match up with these Lions. And I think that's interesting, seeing how Goff has gone against Flores' defenses, yes. both when Flores was calling plays for the Patriots and the Dolphins, and it has not gone well. No, it's funny because the. These two guys, this is the first time in their careers that they have been in this not only the same division, but the same conference. Brian Flores has been an AFC guy his whole career. Jared Goff has been an NFC guy his whole career. But you can argue, and I'm writing about this for later in the week, you could argue that the couple of times Jared Goff has been in the building with Brian Flores have had such cataclysmic consequences on both of their careers that 
this is the reason that they're both in this spot at this moment. I mean, you think about Super Bowl 53. Yeah. The Patriots shut down that Sean McVay offense, holding both field goal. 13-3? to 13-3. It was not the most dramatic Super Bowl from an offensive standpoint ever, but... Mark Craig loved it. Mark Craig loved it, because it fits. Um, But Brian Flores became... And I I think he had already had the, the Dolphins job locked up at that point, if I remember right, but it became kind of the the masterpiece for Brian Flores in New England where he shut that Rams offense down and they win that Super Bowl. So he goes from there to Miami to become the head coach. 2020, Rams go to Miami. Regular season, Sean McVay's head coach. The offensive coordinator in, my, in Los Angeles now is a young guy named Kevin O'Connell. Um who has been brought to Los Angeles because of his friend who had coached with them on the Washington staff, tight end coach Wes Phillips. So they go down to Miami and get obliterated. Like Jared Goff ends up, I think, fumbling twice and getting picked off three times, and it probably could have been worse than that. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that that game – was kind of the tipping point that made the Rams say, mm, we need to move on from Jared Goff. Which so precipitates the trade for precipitates Stafford. Precipitates the trade for Stafford, which happens that offseason. So Stafford goes to Los Angeles. The Rams win the Super Bowl, which yeah. turns Kevin O'Connell mm. into a hot head coaching candidate. He gets yes. the job in Minnesota. He brings Wes Phillips with him here. The Rams, of course, still have Stafford. Goff gets traded to Detroit, you know, almost kind of as a contract yeah. throwaway, but butterfly that's continued effect. to work. Yes, there's butterfly a huge effect. butterfly effect here. So that has continued to work for them to the point where Goff, as he has for a lot of his career, has had the Vikings number. I mean, you go back to 2018 with the Rams where he has a 158-3 passer rating on that Thursday night, beating Mike Zimmer's defense, and then he ends up kind of delivering one of the death knells to Mike Zimmer when that winless – Lions team drives down to beat the Vikings. Oh God, Cam right. Dantzler playing Joe, yes. playing coverage Joe Barry would have loved uh, yes. on the last play in the end zone. I that was Goff. Yeah. That was Goff. And yeah. then last year, Goff has that game in Detroit in December where you started to hear O'Connell talk pretty loudly about how we need to be more aggressive defensively, which sort of spelled the, spelled the end for Ed Donatel. All of this then leads to O'Connell firing at Donatel after the season and then bringing back Brian, Brian Flores. Flores. So Jared Goff beater. All of this stuff, Jared, yes, Brian Flores, the Jared Goff beater, gets to match up against Jared Goff, the Vikings beater, this weekend. Mm. With you can read all about it implications in your Star Tribune with... later this week. <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> Mic drop. Um, cue that gift for the guy with all the... the connected dots yep. and the crazy Charlie hair. from always sunny yes yeah, yeah you got you got all the wires I, in all the back. These, I have a lot of friends that's like Pepe, oh, i love that show i haven't Pepe watched it. sylvia um yeah i mean you like dark enough humor you might like it yeah, yeah. um anyway I'm a huge dark humor guy but yeah i, I mean <laughs> stuff in the office that trends away you know it is fascinating. It, it is fascinating that these two cross paths again, where golf is probably in a position with Detroit, with coaching from Ben Johnson, with a as we talk about this great supporting cast. 
Um, probably his best spot he's been in since those Rams were in the Super Bowl in terms of the supporting cast and what he's got. And I think when you see Detroit play well, like they did against Denver last Saturday, it, they look unbeatable. They look like one of the best teams in football when they can run the ball the way that they did. And Goff can then leverage that to Laporta, to St. Brown, and all the different weapons that they have. And Gibbs in the passing game is also very dangerous. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how in this building at U.S. Bank Stadium, how Goff can respond to that moment and how this Vikings defense can respond after a continual, at least recently, letdowns at the ends of games. Whether it's in Denver, whether it's in Cincinnati, they have blown some leads, and it has not looked well. And Ben, Brian Flores didn't have a ton of answers for that yesterday, even though I'm sure no. behind the scenes he has answers publicly. He didn't want to share it. Though. He had few, a little interest in yeah. wanting to tell us exactly how they're going to change what, what's been going on. Yeah, I mean, I asked him about you know the dagger concept that's gotten them beat with the, the go route and then kind of the, the dig coming off of that where you're trying to basically put a safety in conflict. And he said, yeah, you can you can defend that, but if you do, you're giving up something else. And, and yeah, it didn't really get terribly specific about what they need to do. But, yeah, they have given up, whether it's the end of the Bears game, given up that 38-yarder, they kind of had, I think, zones get flooded there a little bit. And the end of the Denver game, that's a jump ball where – Makai Blackman gets boxed out. The end of this game was, I think, a you know, it was a, a prayer from Jake Browning. But you get in situations where quarterbacks say, I have to take a chance because I can't just check it down here. We have to go make a play to win a game. And Jake Browning does that there. And that's where Caleb Evans gets beat while Makai Blackman is late to the play because he thinks it's going to be an interception. He's running over there with his fist in the air and about to celebrate. Like, no, the play is not over. And that ended up costing them there too. So I, some of this, I think, is you saw young cornerbacks looking like young cornerbacks. I, I think that's had some effect on it, but I will be curious to see if – because people have talked about, oh, Flores is pulling back on blitzes at the end of the game. That was not the case last week. They changed it, right? Because yeah. before, that was the case in uh, Chicago. Chicago, yes. Right? But in Cincinnati, they were bringing – in fact, I think they brought six – after Browning on the play that he threw to Higgins because he's trying to evade pressure and just throwing one up for crabs. So it was not the tentative stuff that we've seen at the end of the game. It's just in some cases either that he didn't get home or balls got thrown up for grabs and people made plays on young corners that may have not been positioned perfectly well to do it. Yeah, and I think and the thing to remember too is we're not talking about tush pushes if they make one stop in that game. They gave up 21 yeah. points in the fourth quarter, and then the, and the winning drive in overtime it was a short field, things like that. They did make a stop initially to get them in the spot where the Vikings could have you know, gained a few more inches and got into field goal range. But I, I'm a, not worried, but you got to think about a little bit like teams are seeing how you beat this defense a little bit. Can they replicate it? And to me, what I'm seeing, Mike, we were talking about this before, but I think they're seeing the most aggressive versions of their opponent in those moments. And then you're seeing really, I think, somewhat mediocre personnel getting taken advantage of. When Like a Caleb Evans, a more seasoned six-foot-two corner probably makes probably makes a play, right? Makai Blackman's probably celebrating for a reason if a Caleb Evans makes that play. 
Um, and as much as I like Cam and Josh Metellus and all these guys and Harrison's 30, whatever, like I, these guys aren't, aren't going to be all pros. They're not Troy Polamalu, Ed Reed types. And, and I think for Cam Bynum specifically, physically, he's limited in what he is, right? He's going to just be a sure tackling guy, not somebody who makes a ton of plays on the ball. Um, so I think they're just limited in who they are a little bit. And then that gets exposed in some of these obvious passing moments, it would seem. Um, I don't know if Flores, though, can come out and say, hey, my corners just aren't very good, guys. Like, I don't think I don't, he would say that. I I would say that. He can't say that. And, and frankly, I think that's probably why they blitz so much. Do yeah. you think he wants to blitz this much? No, no. And especially blitzing in conjunction with all of the zone stuff that they do. I mean, he went and kind of figured out how to put this defense together I think kind of specifically for this team, he hadn't played it that way in my, I mean, the blitz is yes. All of this stuff where it's, you know, showing six or seven and then you drop out in cases or you have, you know, depending which way the center slides, people come, people drop us off of that. That's all been part of it. But the way they're playing behind it with this group is very different. And I wonder if he had, you know, a Xavier Howard type corner in this group, would he say, no, we're going to go my guy on your guy and, I'm going to take my chances in that spot. That's a question for an offseason, and it's probably not one we're ever going to get a straight answer to, but certainly worth wondering about that. Yeah, and I think when you talk about, when you ask about the the like the Jamar Chase third and 21 dig conversion, mm-hmm. you know, Jake Browning opines after the game, well, I think it was the deep shot we took earlier where they didn't cover Charlie Jones. It would have been deep yeah. down the field. And then all of a sudden, late in that game, Harrison Smith or whoever did have to chase T. Higgins on the go route because it's like, hey, they threw this before. We need to go cover it this yeah. time. I think when they got so many guys blitzing, Ben, you said this before, there are areas of the field where they go, we don't, we're not going to cover that area because yeah. we're going to bet you can't throw the ball that far. Yeah, and it is a bet. I mean, yeah. there is an element of gambling involved in the whole thing. And overall, they, I think, have come out ahead in that bet throughout the course of the season but you know you you play a hand of blackjack even if you're playing perfect strategy there are going to be times where somebody just beats you and that's the unique thing about a lot of this in football is you're not playing thousands of data points or even 162 baseball games you have 17 opportunities of these things where there's a few plays that change it all so is the process a good one overall? Yeah, I think it has been, but that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be moments that come back to burn you. Mike, quick, what's going to happen on Sunday? I think they win Sunday. Um, I think Detroit's kind of in a weird little uneven funk. I think Detroit's got a little bit of kind of cushion right now. I think they kind of let up a little bit. I think the Vikings are still going to make the playoffs. I think there's – let me put it this way. I think the Vikings have more – at stake than Detroit does in this specific game. And usually when that happens and the teams are relatively close, I'll, I'll take the team with more at stake playing at home. I have thought the Vikings probably lose this game. I think the Lions have enough ways to, you know, whether it's protecting Goff or being able to run the ball effectively, I, I think the Lions have enough going for them that I've almost wondered if the Vikings path to nine wins becomes – I think we talked about it on Sunday or Saturday. Um, you, if you end up losing this one, you beat the Packers next week because they look like they're starting to pack it in. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> no then maybe attack. you go beat old friend Teddy Bridgewater yeah. on January 7th, and that gets you in that way. I, I, that's kind of where I'm – I mean, it's, again, one of these that could be close. Like I, The Goff versus Flores thing is going to be fascinating to watch, but on balance right now, I think I picked the Lions. 
I'm going to have to agree with you. I'm going to pick Detroit in this one just because they're the favorites for a reason. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be really close, though. Yeah. Like, I think Detroit's going to have to win, uh, like, every Vikings game, right? I'm not shocking anyone by saying it's going to be a close game. Um, I, I think the Vikings are going to have do something again to blow it late, and, and the Lions are going to prevail because, frankly, I think they're the more talented team right yeah. now. Um, and you still, you're still having to start Nick Mullins. So. Well, in the games that they have lost – the, the games the Lions have lost have been from teams that have been able to run the ball effectively, have have kind of committed to it and gotten out to early leads. And pressured, yeah, forced turnovers and pressured yeah. Goff, like yeah. really got after him. And I yeah. think the Vikings can do that, but I also think that the Bears and Packers personnel and fronts are more equipped to do it. Yeah, their front I, sevens probably are. they're more talented yeah. than the Vikings. Like, DJ Packers, Watt, I mean, the, their coverage just make no sense, but they have a lot of talent in front seven. Yeah, and so in, in, in Chicago um, beat Detroit two weeks ago with Montez Sweat yeah. and, a more, yep. and Yannick Ngakwe, a more talented front seven. Yep. So... I just think that the Vikings are certainly equipped to do it. I think at U.S. Bank Stadium, I wouldn't be shocked if they won. I just, if I'm having to make a uh, decision, I would say that right now it's going to be Detroit. And if you told me, though, at the end of the year, they're going to split this series with Detroit, wouldn't be too shocked by that either. No, I wouldn't either. I, I think, you know, we, we have seen Lions quarterbacks, usually Matt Stafford, get bludgeoned in this building before. And that, I think, is the path by which the Vikings win this game is if they're able to do that to Jared Goff and force him into turnovers, I think they can win it. Short of that, I think the Lions are the better team. All right, well, please check out all of our work at startribune.com. We will talk to you guys Friday for the mailbag and then Sunday from U.S. Bank Stadium.